Our first reading in our gospel work together quite well today. In both of these, we see the prophetic spirit being rejected by a particular audience. Um, we see Jeremiah in our first reading, and he has a message from the Lord, and he brings it to the people, and they say, okay, this guy's in trouble. We don't like what he's got to say to us. Uh, in fact, we want to kill him. And so as the text goes on, Outside of the lectionary selection, he's about this far away from getting killed by everybody, and there's and there's another group of people that kind of steps in and says, "Well, let's take it easy on him," and he just <laughs> he escapes death by just a hair's breadth. And then in our gospel, Jesus comes to his own native home, his own native town, and he's rejected by his own people because they take him for granted. They say, huh, "Who's this guy?" You know, I remember when he was a little kid and his mother was wiping his nose and who, you know, who does he think he is? He's not special. So that, that's what happens in, in the gospel, uh, passage. And today we celebrate the feast of, or the memorial of Saint Ignatius of Loyola, who is a very famous saint who, like Jeremiah and like our Lord in the gospel, was an evangelist and he had a message to bring to people who, um, maybe hadn't heard it before. Okay, he had a fresh word from God, and he was tasked with bringing that to people. And uh, so th- that's what I think we see in common here between our scripture texts and the feasts that we celebrate. Uh, Ignatius and his the early companions of his, they were just remarkable, as, as it always is the case. I'm, I'm always so impressed with the amount of work that the saints got done in their lifetime. Um, you know, I, I'm like lucky if I can get out of bed and say mass. And these guys, within just a few short years on this earth, did absolutely astounding things. I was thinking of uh, the other day of um, Mother Cabrini, St. Francis Xavier Cabrini in the early 20th century, how many orphanages and hospitals that she herself um, was responsible for founding uh, probably something like 30 to 50 uh, all over America and South America. I'm like, how does someone do that at that time when there, especially was there wasn't the means of communication that we have today and the means of transport and whatnot. And in Ignatius's day was even more sparse. They didn't have airplanes, they didn't have anything motorized, they didn't have trains. And yet, nonetheless, the Jesuits went out east, I'm thinking in particular of St. Francis Xavier, amazing saint. He baptized like I'm, this is conservative to say tens of thousands. I think it was actually hundreds of thousands of people in India. And they went to China and they went to Japan and they learned these languages that Europeans had never even heard before. They learned them. They analyzed them grammatically. They wrote textbooks. You know, the Jesuits were very known, uh, very well known for being linguists. And to this day, I, I studied with Jesuits and it was very common for them. Uh, pretty much a standard European Jesuit will speak six languages and he'll be able to read about ten. That's like standard. Okay? So, and it was that case back in the day as well, too. So they were very good linguists and, uh, just the amount of remarkable amount of work that they got done, it was, it's always astounding. But we've got this phenomenon though in our scriptures of be, of the prophet or the missionary being rejected. His message is being rejected. Okay? Now why is that? And there's this crucial, fundamental point of discernment that we have to have as Christians that we see exemplified by the Jesuits. It's really part of their their genius or their gift from God. It's what we call their charism. is a point of discernment. And the point of discernment is this. 
when is the gospel message that we are bringing to people being rejected because of a fault in the person who's hearing it? And when is the gospel message being rejected because of a fault in those who are preaching it? Okay, that is a tricky point of discernment. And the Jesuit order really is founded on discerning that particular question and issue. And so what the Jesuits were very good at, in the case of the scriptures today, the message is being rejected because of a fault not in the preacher, but in the fault of those who are hearing. Okay, And that's always going to happen. So just because someone rejects Christianity, it doesn't mean it's the fault of the person preaching it. That's, you know, it's going to happen. You know, and, and as a preacher myself, and as Christians in general, we try to kind of evangelize, hopefully, first of all, our family members, uh, by example, first and foremost, also by our words as well. And we wonder to ourselves, you know, well, if the, if the message is being rejected, that means I'm doing something wrong. Well, not necessarily. Okay. We don't, we see that. That wasn't the case for Jeremiah or for Christ in our gospel passage. Okay. It wasn't the fault of the preacher. But yet at the same time, um, just because it's being rejected, there's an opposite thought or erroneous thought. We could say, well, it's, I'm being rejected for my religion and that is a validation that everything I'm doing is right. It's like the contrarian spirit. It's like, you know, uh, I'm against the world, the world's against me, that means I'm in the right because Jesus was crucified, so therefore, you know, I'm going to be crucified. And then you get this kind of martyr complex and whatnot, and it's really an unhealthy opposite mindset as well, too. Okay, So just because the message is rejected, uh, it, that does not mean that you're right, it doesn't mean that you're wrong, it means that you've got to use discernment. And so that's what the Jesuits are really good at. And the Jesuits are, are masters and experts at going out of their way to try to understand the audience to which they're preaching. So the Jesuits that went to Japan, for example, they uh, they literally grew like a Fu Manchu. I mean, and it wasn't like in a caricature. I mean, they, they totally adopted the dress and the mannerisms of the Japanese completely, uh, totally. They learned their language. Uh, they adopted every single element of their culture that they possibly could unless it was to lead them into a fundamental conflict with the gospel and to sin. They would, that would, that's the limit at which they would stop, okay? But discerning that limit is, is the trick and this is the question. And they would go as absolutely far as possible to try to understand the people and to identify them and find common ground with them, okay? And it was from that common ground that there was a, a dialogue and a launching pad for evangelization and conversion because they didn't want the gospel to be rejected because of a fault of their own. You know, kind of a European mindset, we're going to come into a, this area of these people who have no shared history with us and we're going to impose our, our clothes, our style of clothes upon them, you know, and then you get rejected because they don't like wearing your hat or something like that, you know. It's, it's, I'm being silly, but that's, that's what we want to avoid, okay? So if we're rejected, we gotta, we want to be rejected because it's the truth that we're bearing and the people, you know, they have, they've made a choice against the truth. We don't want to be rejected for other, other reasons, other reasons that we can change and, and, and modify. Um, you know, I think of some other great Jesuit, uh, thinkers around the Second Vatican Council. I've always been impressed with the amount that Catholic theologians and Jesuits in particular have done by way of trying to understand other people. And I don't see that happening. I think that's a really great sign of the credibility of Catholicism 
is, for example, you know, you have these Jesuits writing books this thick, and I'm not kidding, this thick, on atheism. Like, what atheist is going to go and write a book this thick on Christianity? It doesn't happen, okay? They don't have that kind of intellectual curiosity, but yet, on the other part, they went, well, I don't understand these atheists. Why do they reject the, the idea of God? And so let's really, and they spend their whole lives investigating a belief that they don't agree with. And that, there's something really right about that. And that's, that characterizes the Jesuits. Uh, and today we see it with Pope Francis. He's trying to find as much as absolutely possible common ground with a broader secular world so that some kind of dialogue and progress and, uh, and evangelization can take place. And, of course, he's a Jesuit, so he's carrying on that charism and he's bringing it to the, into the church's hierarchy at, at the highest level. So, my brothers and sisters, how do we evangelize? Well, first and foremost, as I say, you know, we have to um, be concerned about our children and our grandchildren. And I just was became aware of a sociological study recently that in the, in the author basically said... He said the main difference between Catholics whose children grow up and depart from the faith versus Catholics whose children grow up and um, continue on the faith is that they just simply speak about religion in the household. Isn't that so simple? <laughs> it's so simple. <laughs> and you got to speak about religion in the household as if it's one other topic. Like you can't treat it as this, oh my gosh, this super sensitive thing, you know. Like, cause then the child will start to get kind of, like, he'll get the message indirectly that religion is this thing. It's like, wow, I don't know, it's sort of a sensitive topic, like, religion and politics. Be careful, don't, don't bring those things up. You know, you don't want to convey that message to the kids. So just like the kid asks, well, why is the sky blue and why is this way, uh, this thing this way? You know, what, well, Ma, so what if the, well, how do we know the Bible's true? What if the Bible's wrong? Like, don't freak out. <laughs> Just speak about it as if you would speak about any other topic. And don't make the kid feel guilty because maybe they have doubts or questions or anything like that. If you're very relaxed about it and you treat religion as just one more state of affairs in your life, because it is, um, that that is the best way of ensuring that your kids or your grandkids are going to carry on the faith. And my brothers and sisters, let's pray today to St. Ignatius of Loyola that through his intercession God would give us that grace of discerning you know when are people being turned away from the gospel because of what we're doing versus a fault in them that kind of point of discernment let's pray that we're able to evangelize first and foremost by our example of life and uh, and uh, first and foremost our children and our grandchildren so uh, through the prayers of St. Ignatius may that may that be so